Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Hulkcast. As per usual, I'm James Rushton bringing you the latest Aston Villa news and results. Again, joined by Daniel Raza. How are you getting on, pal? Eight on the bounce, mate. I am doing fantastically. <laughs> I'm doing fantastically, mate. It is uh, a pleasure to to be an Aston Villa fan at the moment. Oh, it's amazing. So since we last recorded, we beat last time we recorded actually, we beat Blackburn. And we're thinking, can we make it six, seven? We make it six, even because we had a, a hard match against, um, of course, Sheffield Wednesday, managed by Steve Bruce, and that was a tough ask to go there and get the win. We'll cover that later on in a short detail because I know we missed that. Then we beat Rotherham, and now we beat Bristol City eight games won in a row, and Villa have a real chance to make it nine and ten because the opposition they face are certainly among the weaker in the championship. But more on that later, mate. I think first things first, we need to speak about the match that happened yesterday because it is a game changer. Villa beat Bristol in a real six-pointer. Hard, tough match, but Villa came out looking superior. Yeah, interesting as well, because when we saw the starting lineups at the start, it was uh, confirmed that Jack Grealish was too ill to start. And uh, as well as that, Tyrone Mings obviously was ruled out of the game due to his second yellow card and his sending off in the game against Rotherham. So, uh, Villa fans may have been ever so slightly uh, pessimistic heading into the game. But, uh, I mean, the, the fair play to them. Uh, they, all, they all pulled off a, a very, very big victory, which now leaves Villa in fifth, I believe, um, basically leaving Bristol with some catching up to do. Yeah, I think it's incredible the turnaround we've had since we, we even discussed jumping into the top six. I know me and you were quite nervy about that proposition, but we've we've done one better, mate. Top five now. We're fifth place. Of course, Bristol do have a game in hand, but we've got a four-point cushion over Bristol. And even better, in terms of falling out of the playoffs, Villa have got a five-point cushion over Middlesbrough, who completely, you know, they fell apart. They've, they've since won two on the bounce, but they completely fell apart and dropped out, leaving a door for Villa to jump right in. And now Villa, you think about dropping out of the playoffs, mate. If you t- In terms of optimism, you're looking at chasing down West Brom for fourth place now. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Villa could could uh, very realistically finish fourth now. But uh, when it comes to the playoffs, in all fairness, finishing fourth and fifth is exactly the same, isn't it? Because you get the same opponents. Um, <laughs> but it, having said that, it would be nice to, to finish above them and just, I think, to be fair, just keep the momentum going. I think it would be really nice to carry that momentum into the playoffs. I think if you look at last season, when uh, Steve Bruce obviously let, sent us on a very, very good winning run, and again, got to be very appreciative of that. Uh, that there was then that wobble, um, which actually also coincides with why we've got to be careful for the next couple of games. That wobble when we lost to both Bolton and QPR, I believe it was, um, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, and then heading into the playoffs, we didn't have that kind of momentum. But now on eight wins in a row, uh, I think that would be the biggest positive. Rather than thinking about finishing fourth or or, or whatever, if we can carry that momentum into the playoffs, that will be the most important. So thing. heading into this Bristol match, were you nervy at all? Because I think I was. I think we've all been indoctrinated a bit by this Villa belief that you do have to be, you, you have to be nervous. But I think you look at the teams and I can't believe we were nervous. Villa's quality is there to see. And I mean, Bristol are managed by a great coach and Lee Johnson. More on him definitely later. I think we've got to speak about some of the things he said after the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But mate, um, in terms of quality, Bristol don't have that quality. They've got a coach that makes them so much better, but Villa have that as well. And Dean Smith, they've got a quality coach, especially at this level. He's proven to not just be a man who's the, who the job is too big for. A lot of people thought the job 
job may be too big for him, especially after he collapsed to West Brom. But in the last two games, we've seen him make changes and tactical decisions that have not only benefited the team, but have won the games. It's funny, isn't it? He's always got this straight face on his look where you kind of almost know he, he sort of knows what he's doing. He's never acted defeatist after a game. Do you, do you know what I mean? He's, he's, yeah. never, he's, ne- he's never, you know, sort of thrown his, uh, you know, um, thrown his boots into the ground as, you know, after, after a bad game. Like, he's... he's He's always got this focused look on his face as though he, he knows what's gone wrong. Um, and there was that struggle. There was that struggle in January and February, but something has clicked. And you talk about that, nervous, that nervousness before the game. Well, for a large part of, uh, you know, in fact, the start of the year, for a large part of this half of this season, this was the sort of team we were lining up with. Um, Neil Taylor, uh, Al Mohamedi, uh, Tanzibi obviously wasn't available. But we had, to, uh, you know, but, but but for a while we were going, we were going with him and Chester, and so it just wasn't necessarily working as well as when we've had um, Mings and House. But the key name that we didn't have back then, when we were in a poor run of form, form was Jack Grealish. And it was as soon as he came back, the Villa went on that winning run. That's what ended that bad run of form. So suddenly with him being unavailable against the playoff rival, you sort of think to yourself, well, hang on a second. Was he perhaps the factor which was keeping Villa running? Like, is it, is it, are they now going to fall apart because he's not in that side? And I think it's a fair worry to have considering those players weren't performing as well before he came back. I think we're all nervous. I think realistically it was more so the fact that when Grealish came back we started winning games so the easy link to make is we win games because of Grealish and I think for the most part that's true but you've also got to think outside of Grealish look at the quality Villa have even at the back you've got Yedinak who's come a long way to be that centre-back that we needed to step up when we had no one else you've got Axel Twanzebe who is you know he's gone underrated because Tyrone Mings came in and Courtney Howes came in and he was injured but he is probably the best centre-back in the league if you look at everything what do you think and so it's a, well it's a direct challenge now isn't it because you've got Tyrone Mings coming and lighting things up and Courtney Howes going quite underrated it's a lot it's a, it's a real mix-up but I think before Mings came in and before Chester was injured and before Twanzebe was injured you could easily say Chester and Mings one and two easily and now that conversation's changed a bit but I can't take it away from him I can't take it away from Twanzebe does Chester now Just come back when he when he's fully fit again do you put him straight in there with Mings because I think that's such a hard decision isn't it a disservice to Hauser and perhaps Twanzebe if this run of form carries on I don't know how you get around that but that is an excellent problem to have isn't it because even look Yedinak's not displacing anyone but Villa didn't skip a beat when he, he jumped in and that's, no, that's massive. And I think that's that's the other thing. I was nervous at the start of the season when he was playing centre back, but that perhaps was to do with the fact we had le- we had right backs playing left back, and I don't know. It was all a bit of a mess. Uh, I didn't feel too nervous about the defensive situation um, yesterday. I'll say that I was worried that we might not be able to score goals, but yeah, defensively, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just feel way calmer now. I, I haven't seen us make you know silly um, silly mistakes every single game which we definitely were doing at the start of the season. Yeah, I think Villa really capitalised on a, a Bristol City team that were getting extremely frustrated by some of the decisions that may or may not have went against them unfairly because in the first half, both the manager, Lee Johnson, and his assistant picked up bookings for uh, aggro on the touchline. And this aggro on the touchline was related to throw-ins going against them. And I'm thinking, I know Dean Smith picked up a booking against Rotherham, mate, but you don't lose your head over a throw-in, do you? No, no, it's a bit silly, isn't it? 
but, no, but uh, they, they uh, did well, look frustrated. But uh, you know, the thing is, I I, I totally do um, sympathise with with Lee Johnson uh, because you know, looking you know, looking a little bit later in that half as well. I can definitely understand why Bristol City fans would have been upset because uh, I don't think that first penalty that they should have had. I mean, that that first penalty that Villa had should have should have probably stood. Uh, they did get pretty unlucky. They did have some bad decisions go against them. You know, let's put our hands up when um, uh, when we should. So let's go on to Villa's first goal because I think it's very important to talk about. It is the Tammy Abraham penalty, but the lead up to that, it's kind of Horahan being fouled right in the center of the box and. Before we go into the penalty, actually, I want to say something about Horan. How many times did he get into that exact position yesterday? Just yeah. completely unnoticed. It was interesting, wasn't it? Him, he does. He's, he's been pushing a lot further forward. About Grealish, it looks like he's got into that position, but he capitalised on it as well. He did score later on, but he also earned the penalty. And I've only seen it once, and that was from the whole end. Mm. And it looked clear to me. And it, you know, Horan fouled with his arms raised up. You know, him and McGinn do this thing where when they're fouled, they do make it look very very obvious like they've been fouled was it a penalty I don't know I don't know honestly because I, I I think I can understand why Bristol might have been a bit unhappy it was a bit soft um you know sort of the ball comes in and he's he's chilling there with the defender and yeah I don't know I, I just wouldn't I don't I don't think that if it was against us if that had been given against us you know would have been very upset would have thought it was a bit soft I think it, I think what maybe aggravates it just a little bit is the defender sort of lifting his knee up. I'm not sure whether that catches him in the back, but to me, it almost looks like Connor goes down very easily. It's similar to the Mings one, isn't it? Because it's an obvious penalty when against Sheffield Wednesday. I'm talking about when he gives away that mm. penalty. It's an obvious penalty, but it is soft. It's like the faintest of touch, but because he raises his leg, because the defender has you know so much more power in that. It's a losing situation for them and the penalty is given. Let me put it this way. If that's a scoring opportunity, if that is an opportunity where, where Hurahan thinks he can bang that in, he's not going down. I think it's it's, yeah. it's one of those. He's, he's, he's perhaps felt that touch. He's felt the defender behind him and he's gone, right, might as well, might as well uh, take the foul here. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not totally against that. I'm just saying that I can understand from a Bristol point of view why uh, why you'd be upset at that being given, and it and it, and it is one of those that could yeah, go either well, way. Well, Tammy steps up and buries that penalty, and it's all the more better because the pressure was on. You could feel the pressure in the whole end; it really was on because Tammy had, of course, missed against Rotherham early in the week, and mm. it was it was a really cool penalty that he took early in the week. It was just you know style it out, no pressure, kick it, wait, kick it to the side, easy as you come. The keeper does the right way and saves it midweek. And the pressures on, mate, because you know we had two penalties in that Rotherham game, and he didn't take the second. He stepped down. Whether Codger stepped up, or it's a question of Codger stepping up or him stepping down. I don't know. Which is but fair. Step down for that one. Yeah, it is fair because I wouldn't want to do that. It's what you should. If you'd do. missed one, you can't. You can't take one, can you? You no. can't. You you surely cannot be in that spot. It's not fair. But he steps up against Bristol when the pressure's even worse, mate. And Villa need need a goal because losing against Rotherham is one thing, but I think you could have written it off because. Of the referee, because of the red card, you could have went, okay, things were against us. But Bristol, it's a six-point massive match, mate. Massive match. The pressure's on. He's already missed one. Steps up, bangs it down the middle. It's a goal to Villa. And you can tell how good that feels for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think he needed it as well because he's actually, to be fair to him, he's gone through a little bit of a period of not banging everything in. Which is which is something unheard of for Tammy Abraham. Um, so whenever there is the opportunity with with, with penalties like that, like, like, likewise for Codger, to be fair to him, 
Likewise for Kodjo last week. Um, it, it's uh, it, it was nice to see him. It was nice to see him bang it in, and hopefully he he starts finishing a little bit better now because we need him firing on all cylinders heading into the playoffs. And there's an incident as well that we didn't speak about. It's Andy Wyman offside goal. Andy Wyman, probably Bristol's man of the match, everywhere from all over the pitch, throwing in the tackles, winning the ball back, creating attacking chances. He scores. It's offside. I'm not sure if this featured in any highlights package, but no, it, it does. did look like a really soft decision. You can you can see it in um you can you can see it on the Villa YouTube highlights. You can. It was a good goal. Um, <laughs> to be fair to him, uh, in terms of was it offside? Was that what? It, was that why it was disallowed? Or yep. right. Let me... As far as I'm aware, I'm, I wouldn't have any other. That I didn't. I didn't even see anything in it. To be fair, it's good. I thought it was a bit. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of. Um, I would say a shame as a neutral. I don't really care as a Villa fan, but I think it was soft. Yeah, it was probably a little bit soft. It was a nice. It was a nice header as well. It was. It was a yeah, really nice it... glancing header. And he did the whole, I'm not celebrating thing. I'm not celebrating. Fair play to him. And then he looks across to the linesman and the flag's up. Fair play. It was probably offside. <laughs> it was probably offside from what I've seen. Uh, but it, okay. the thing with Andy Wyman is like, he's seriously underrated. But also, there was times when he was playing for Villa where you, where you knew he could switch it on perhaps just a little bit better. Perhaps he would have worked better in a different system. Um, but he's, he's a very hardworking player generally, especially nowadays. He's, he's, he's come on leaps and bounds since, since leaving Villa, to be fair to him. Um, but there was one particular game, you know, whilst we're on the topic of Andy Wyman, which I remember uh, incredibly was against Liverpool, uh, where he had Steven Gerrard in his back pocket all game. <laughs> well, Andy Wyman, you know, God forbid Villa stay in this league next season. He looks like the type of player they'd, they'd want. The type of energy, you know, the underrated ability. He's not really known, even though he scored 10, assisted 5 or so. He's not really known in this league, is he? Yeah, you could say that. You could say that. I could, I, I could see, I definitely see him doing a better job in the Premier League. Yeah, now than 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 from before, definitely. And I think he is that type of Dean Smith bloke. But I think they'll probably look at a younger, younger figure. And it, it seems weird to speak about Andy Wyman almost as this old man because it's just so long ago now, isn't it? Oh, he's an experienced Championship striker now. <laughs> yeah, he's come a long way, but fair play to him. Um, he's all the more better at Bristol. He's um, he's scoring goals and he's having fun by the looks of it. And um, he was their the most vocal player, and he did seriously seem like he wanted to win that match. And uh, credit to him because he's always, uh, you know, I think from following his Twitter feed since he moved to Derby, he's been on loan at Wolves, and um, of course he's at Bristol now. He's always seemed to have a soft spot for Villa, and it did seem like he wanted to get the win yesterday, just for you know what. Here's what you're missing, folks. But maybe. Maybe there is a future. I don't know. It's it's completely hypothetical. And I don't think we'll be in this league at the end of the season because Villa are too good right now. I'm really optimistic. But there's another goal to speak about, mate. And it comes from Anwar Al-Ghazi, who passes through to Conor Huran, who's again in that same position where he won the penalty. And he hooks it to the uh, the side of the net. And Villa go 2-1 or 2-0 up in the second half. And scenes, mate, absolute delirium. <laughs> no one expects... Because no one... Look... The teams that Villa's team are better. Villa have got the form. Villa have got the momentum. They fought from such a. They fought from a, a losing position. They fought. They've snatched a playoff spot from the jaws of Championship mediocrity. They've they've done that. They've jumped in. They've made the case for them. Still, we we didn't expect it. Still, we didn't expect to go two nil up, and we did. And Al Ghazi slices the ball through. He had a f- fantastic day as well. Yeah, yeah, Al, Gar- Al Ghazi was fantastic all game. Like he's 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 doing things which he wasn't doing before now. 
He's he's getting into the he's getting into the middle and cutting in way more than I've ever seen him do before. It's something new from him. Uh, he almost seems to take the uh, take the mantle as well when 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 the fact that Grealish wasn't on the pitch then as well. Like he almost felt like he had to take it into himself to be the main playmaker. Uh, and and uh, you know the other thing with Algarzi is I don't know if you've noticed, but he's he's actually seriously imposing. You know, for for, yeah. for a player that you think of as a tricky winger, he's seriously imposing. And he almost seems to be able to kind of walk through um, defenses and kind of find his find his pass, doesn't he? He's almost got that. I know this is going to sound really silly, but he's got that sort of Ronaldo stature, doesn't he? If you, if you know what I mean, yeah. he's got that kind of a body type where he almost seems upright whilst he's got the ball and carrying it. Um, and yeah, the way that he found Conor Huran there with with almost ease um, was was ridiculous, and it was just it was just a typical Conor Huran goal from there, you know, just. Power on the left foot, never any finesse, really. To be fair to him, just power. This is it. This is the real deal now. And Grealish isn't even on the pitch. And McGinn didn't even have the best game until forty-five minutes, and then everything just turns on its head. And everyone is doing so much better. I'm, I couldn't believe it. Kind of Horan deserved goal. Al Ghazi, though, what can you say about him, mate? I really am running out of words because from look from the stands. There's times when he doesn't make, he doesn't commit to the challenge, and he bottles the challenge, and he doesn't go for the header. But when he's got the ball at his feet, it's almost like the entire pitch just so. It's like that greedish thing where anything can happen now. Oh anything. yeah, 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 yeah. I think you have to pay the five and a half million, whatever it is, at the end of the season. Five and a half million is a steal. You have to absolute get absolute bedrock steal. I don't if if Villa are in this league next season, if if they're in the Premier League or not, they're taking that deal. That's too cheap. That is so cheap. Considering look. There are FFP worries. There are concerns about spend, spending money. But think of the return that you get on a player like that. It's like McGinn spent two and a half million. He's going. He's, there is no way he goes for less than twenty. Oh yeah, exactly. Algarzi does name. We haven't talked at all about Glenn Whelan as well, who is just another revelation. Another revelation. Oh, he did well as captain, didn't he? He doesn't miss a beat. Doesn't miss a beat at all. Led. You know, it was him and Yedinak were just screaming instructions the entire game. Everyone on the same wavelength. And Glenn Whelan. A lot of people speak about the energy of John McGinn and I completely get that. But Glenn Whelan is the real the real deal. He never stops running. Or he always seems to have an extra burst of pace or speed on anyone. Or he took the ball off some of Bristol's characters late on to the game. And I was thinking, how are you doing that? <laughs> how are you doing that? What is happening? Is it the crowd boosting your plot they do McGinn? Because McGinn feeds off that energy. But Glenn Whelan, he's surely a bit more mature than that. He knows that regardless of the crowd, you have to do the job. And he seems to do it. Yeah, he had a good game. He had a good game. And I think, I think again, it just shows you how much he's improved this season. It sounds weird saying that about a 34-year-old player, but it does show you how much he's improved this season. The other, the other thing that showed that was the, was the, was the way that McGinn and Huran were just able to, to keep darting forward and do what they needed to do. Uh, and it, it, they, they almost seemed incredibly assured when, the, when Whelan was, um, was around that pitch. As, as you say, again, you know, he, he, was, he, he was stalking the, the centre of that park. You know, he was he was all over the place. You know, he was making tackles as well, you know, which is which is good to see from him because to be to be fair to him, again, we did not see that side of his game so much before. Um aerially as well he was he was doing well. I just think, you know, he's 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 improved a lot and I'm I'm really happy for it. It's probably a shame that well, it's a shame that he probably won't be around next season, I'd imagine. Um, if we do go up for the Premier League, but um either way he's definitely earned some eyes on him. And uh, yeah, fair play to him. Did well as a captain as well. He's become a 
quite a fan favourite really late on into his Villa career. He's really stepped it up and uh, I think it will be a shame to see him depart. But man, he's if a team wants to play good football, he's got years left in him easily. You think so? Easily. Cause, he doesn't look like he's, he's 35, what now? Mm. And he doesn't look like he's missing a beat at all. No, true, 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 true. At least a year left in him. I mean, look, if we're talking about Gareth Barry, who's what, 38, 39? Glenn Whelan, easily the Irish version of that. We did have to do some work to get the best out of him, though. Yeah, it's it's come a long way. Like it's, it's had, There's been ups and downs, but Villa were a team that kind of just did whatever they wanted for so long. And now that there seems to be a plan and plan Bs and instructions and you know tactical traps, it seems to get the best out of Glenn Whelan, who is a very intelligent footballer. Look, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not the burst of speed or the burst of pace because that's ridiculous to speak about in a 35-year-old. Maybe it's the fact that he knows where people are going because he's that's the instructions, that's the tactical plans, mapping out runs, mapping out traps that they're going through. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And he works really, he works so maybe, really well with McGinn, yeah. especially. Like when you've got the ball at your feet, you've got to go from like A to D. You're almost spontaneously, haven't you? You've got to look at the situation before you make make a decision made on where players are lining up. But if you don't have the ball and you know where that player is going to run, you can almost shortcut that. And that's really important as well, considering that Villa's play really sort of uh, really, really sort of uh, works on the whole idea of making forward runs. A lot of a lot of what Villa do now is basically finding space, finding open space. And I know it's a basic of football, but Villa seems to be doing this a lot more actively now. Um, you know, kind of going a little bit more direct, uh, so to speak. And I think that, that Whelan does a very good job in that sense. Uh, and I think it's so important to have a midfield like that when you're playing three in midfield. You have to have somebody who can map out those passes because if you don't have that, then yeah, it's it's it's, it's a little bit more dog-like, um, the game there. And I, th- I think it's just nice to see, it's nice to see a different side to Whelan because we definitely weren't seeing, weren't seeing him do that before. We definitely weren't. And Smith seems to have found what he does well and it's probably what he was doing well at Stoke as well. Bristol City did score one back late on. Um, I think it was it was definitely coming because Villa had to retreat. Bristol decided to, you know, we're going to hold on to the ball. We're going to make you sit back now. They kind of tried to change the game on its head and it did work for the most part. But they, they did score the goal. And whilst we were all nervous again after that, thinking 2-1 lead now, it's on the cards for a 2-2. Villa didn't lose their heads. Again, it's, it's exactly like that Blackburn match. They didn't lose their heads and they defended really coolly. And again, John McGinn, because when when it hits injury time, it becomes John McGinn's hour. How oh, does it? It's, he, <laughs> he's time to do whatever he wants to do. He run when the clock hits eighty nine minutes. The bloke, the fourth official, holds up the ball. It's almost like John McGinn's. That's his. That's his time to step up. And not like he didn't step up in the match, but it's in the, those last five minutes where he just does whatever he wants and he gets away with it. He's got more stamina than anybody else in that team. Like he, if there's any player in that in that side who you think can go 90 minutes, you, you, it's John McGinn, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, it, I, it never seemed to doubt, actually, to be fair. I mean, I think, I think you know, once it hit 80, 80th minute or, or, in fact, once it, once it hit, um, yeah, once it hit the 80th minute, I mean, I, I, was, I was confident by then, to be fair. I don't know what you thought, like being in the, being in the stands, like were you nervous up until then? It's always more nervous because there's a lot of, every mistake feels like, oh, it's going in now. Whereas on TV or in highlights, that's never the case. I mean, 
you know what I mean? You also had the case, uh, you also had the idea that, um, well, not the idea, you also had the fact that Keenan Davis and, and Henry Lansbury are now on the pitch as well. Two players who oh, perhaps haven't yeah, played yeah. a lot. Uh, so you, you might have thought that perhaps at this point, Villa aren't going to launch too much of an attack. But, uh, you know, there were, there were, some, there were some, good, some good movements at that point as well, though. Keenan Davis very much looked close to scoring as well. I mean, it's not like Bristol were the only ones troubling Villa. Speaking of McGinn, absolute star but Keenan Davis comes on and oh, he was incredible like I'm not gonna but he's he's clearly a different type of striker to Tammy Abraham but what he did it was it's like Villa were a better team when he came on and Keenan Davis tackling from the front leading from the front it's almost like Tammy's goal against Sheffield Wednesday when he steals the ball in the box and scores Keenan Davis that's his bread and butter it's just winning the ball up front and making the team tick he's never looking to score himself which is a massive you know, how does, you know, a kid like that, it, how does he do that? Because always they're looking to make a name. They're looking, this is my place. I'm losing this place. I'm a kid. I'm not getting this place. Tammy Abraham's there. Oh, he's a tank. How do you, how do you manage to pass the ball off like that and not take it yourself? Almost. How do you be that unselfish as a kid? Could he be that our, our next, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way at all. Could he be sort of our younger version of, of maybe Leroy Kozak or Emil Heskey? I mean, yes, but better because what, from what we've seen of Keenan Davis so far, when he come on in the first championship season against Brighton at the end of the season, you're looking, wow, this kid can hold up the ball. Then next season, you're looking, wow, he makes the team work. This season, he's only come on in bits and starts, but if you've seen a guy come on with so much confidence, the ability to take people on, the ability to win the ball up front, he can't. He has difficulty striking sometimes. He doesn't make the best positions for himself. But if you're looking for a guy to make something out of nothing, it's Keenan Davis. Every time. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's it's genuinely, the other thing with him is you, you, you definitely can, you definitely can be confident that he can deal with the, the physicality of the championship. A lot of the time with younger strikers, you, you almost wonder whether they're going to get pushed off the ball. But he, he looks he looks totally comfortable. And I, I feel very confident that he's going to kick on as well because there was that period of time under Steve Bruce, I believe it was, when he was forced to pick Keenan Davis for a long stretch of games. Uh, and, I, and I do wonder when that's going to come back for him. Um, but certainly watching his appearance against Bristol, it was um, it, it, it was very endearing. Like he, he did, uh, he did do well, and he was very unlucky not to score as well because he almost threaded the ball straight through the keeper's legs, um, which closed up just in time. Yeah, well, that keeper, I forgot his name now. I'm gonna have to check it up. But McGinn almost scores late on when do you know he's holding up the ball in the corner. Matt O'Leary. Matt O'Leary. McGinn is holding the ball up in the corner. The Bristol players advance on him because he's wasting time. Then he just darts past them all straight into the box. Almost scored, but Matt O'Leary. It's Max. Sorry, it's Max. It's my bad. It's Max, Max, yeah. Max O'Leary, five, seven, ten saves that match. Um, Villa should have scored a lot more. I think XG has them at 3.75 expected goals, minus a penalty. Let's call it 2.8 expected goals. Incredible. It's only 22 From from chances made. Yeah, and that's incredible. That is incredible. The fact that you've, every time Bristol City come to Villa Park, they get their asses handed to them. Is that is that a thing? In some style. Is that is that is that is that like a very big record that we, we have? beat them in? We beat them in the championship first season, so we haven't played them for years and years. Then we played them in the championship first season. We yeah, we do we do cock up at Ashton Gate quite a lot. Okay. We played them in the championship first season. I believe we beat them there. Codger scored, I think. Net last season we beat them five 0 Yes, we did. Oh God, yeah, we did. This season, 
this season, the scoreline isn't great, but the chances we made in that match, I mean, there are doubts about the penalty, there are doubts about the referee and the chances he gave or take it, took away from Bristol. But regardless of that, you're looking at Bristol not making anything and Villa making so many chances to score. So many. And that's credit, not just to the players you started. You've got Neil Taylor arriving in attacking positions and he almost scored if it weren't for bloody Max O'Leary. John McGinn would have scored if it weren't for Max O'Leary. Conor Huram would have had two if it weren't for Max O'Leary because he was in the face of goal and Keenan Davies probably would have had one. Might have been a bit, might have been a different scoreline if the away fans were positioned elsewhere though. Okay, let's come on. Let's let's wrap this up. There's so many players I want to talk about in this game, but time, you know, we, we do have a few matches to speak about. We can't give everyone the credit they deserve. We have to talk about Lee Johnson, who was butchering the match for kicking <laughs> off about a, a throwing. A throwing. He was kicking off about a throwing. And then the penalty comes and he has to shut his mouth. I'll take the booking for moaning about the penalty, mate, if I'm if that's me. Just wait, wait and have a moan later. But then he he comes on, he's speaking about, oh, yeah, Villa did did this and that, and we do have to look at the performance of referee, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, the away fans weren't positioned behind the goal, and I'm thinking, so? Yeah, that's that, there's a reason for that. You can do that as well. Yeah, you can You know what that, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like when teams come to Villa Park and they win the throw-in, um, the, the coin toss, and they change the ends. They go, okay, we, you're going to attack the whole end in the first half. And that's unfair. It's like, okay, but that happens. You won the coin toss. That's just a stupid rule. And the other stupid rule is that home teams who own stadiums can choose where away fans sit. So what? Yeah. I mean, if you he was annoyed that if you, if you can, they won't be on the goal. This is the thing. Like, if, you can fit your, if you can fit your own fans, you know, sort of behind both goals, why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's, just, it's just tactically, it's probably a little bit, a little bit smarter if you've got the choices in it. And it's the way that it's been for years at Villa, so... I think most, and quote-unquote, big clubs don't really sit away fans behind a goal. Do they? I mean, I, I think you see a lot really. in the Championship. Like, when we went to Fulham, we were behind the goal. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, but, we were, weren't we? Yeah. But that's a different case because it's, an, it's a quote-unquote neutral stand as well. Because, <laughs> for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, at Hillsborough, behind the goal. Um, most championship teams do put people behind the goal, but you do have a choice. You can you can move them. Yeah, yeah. Like, like if you wanted to, you could go. We're only letting five hundred away fans in. Sit wherever you please. And what's that got to do with anything anyway? You know. Yeah, I mean, look, atmosphere does help, but you are given a large away section. No matter where it is, you can make a noise and racket. Yeah, of course you can. Doesn't matter if it's, it's still right. It's still care. right next to the north stand. It's still exactly. Right next to um, it. And they are shooting up that way in the second half anyway. Yeah, exactly. And it does help. There has been times when you're thinking, oh, they're attacking up that way now. The fans are screaming. Blah, blah, blah. They've scored. And now they're running to the fans in the north, that, you know, in the Witten Lane stand next to the north stand. I don't care. It's, it's, it's a, a bit of a mute point. And he does come out with his shot after matches, doesn't he? Like every Villa match has been, oh, we'll see where we are at the end of the season. This, that. He's a great coach. I'm not going to take that away from him. But every time there is something else rather than the football and Villa were all over him. Minus a penalty, Villa were all over him. Yeah, they are. And they're winning that game no matter what, to be fair. Um, regardless, even, um, you know, I, I know I know decisions went against Bristol, but I think Villa were, were all over them for, for, for much of that game. And let's not forget the open goal that Albert Adoma missed earlier on as well. That probably should have gone in. Bit unlucky that it didn't. Um, 
yeah, as I can say, look, we've been on we've been on a we've been on a eight game win streak for a reason. You know, Bristol have been sort of not amazing in the last few games. To be fair to them, you know they've been they've they've looked like I mean there's been there's been times to be fair to them where they've looked like they were they should have been losing and I, I know they have come back a couple of times but Brit Wigan, you know they were in a winning position in that game, ended up ruining it. West Brom they, they won three two they won three two but you know they 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 were letting in goals and they they weren't incredibly impressive in that game either. So I mean they 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 they, they haven't been amazing in comparison to us. Well, we're we're the better team. We won yesterday. We are fifth in the championship table and that is all credit to a number of key performances we've only got three match balls to give mate so a lot of players are going to miss out i want to know your your man of the match my first one is going to be i'm going to give it to i'm going to say anwar Ghazi, just because of credit yeah just the way that he was creating things um the, the second chance that he created for Conor Hurahan to to score later on uh i i have to give it to him uh and i know it's i know it's perhaps not the done thing to give it to the assist makers rather than the goal scorers but uh i want to give it to Anwar i thought he was just imposing in that game and you know, i think Bristol City would have been scared of him um for large parts of it and i would have given him another if it weren't for John McGinn who again maybe didn't have the best first 45 minutes but he runs a show he absolutely runs a show and he stepped up in the wake of uh, well, the absence of Jack Grealish. Gave us a, gave Bristol City a good game. Would have had a goal if it weren't for Max O'Leary late on. Full credit to him. He's been a revelation again since uh, his suspension and he's come back. Incredible. Well, last one last one then has to be Conor Huran. Has to be Conor Huran. Yeah, he went down for the, for the penalty uh, and also scored the second goal. And let's also not forget the fact that he hasn't been getting into the team recently. He's found it very, very difficult to force his way in. But every time he comes back, every time he's, 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 he's been on the bench and gone through a little period of, of, of deselection, he comes back and he scores goals. Uh, and you forget how much of a, in fact, how much of a consistent goal scorer Conor Hurahan is. And I just thought he did a very good job of reminding us all again. Um, getting into positions, he was the finisher. He was the main finisher for Villa uh, in that game. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to have to say that the third one has to be Conor Hurahan. Surely, don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think um, there's oh, you could have went for Neil Taylor. You could have went for Twanzebe, Yedinak. Um, could you have went for? I don't know if I'd have went for Almo uh, Whelan for sure. Maybe not Adoma Tammy. So yeah, I mean, there's a whole. You could we could have picked the whole team, so yeah, I don't think it's unfair to pick a Hurahan at all. Hurahan takes the third one. Easy Fantastic! Easy. I think that was a was a pretty simple one there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, I feel sorry for the whole team. He probably could have, Neil Taylor could have been in shape for his first match ball, but the whole team bloody step up. Keenan, you could have. You know, I mean, Keenan Davis for God's sake could have had one. Um, but Aston Villa marvelous performance against Bristol City, but it is built on a performance midweek against Rotherham. It was a rough tough match for Aston Villa. It all fell apart in the first half. Tyra Mings got sent off. Villa missed a penalty. Villa conceded the penalty. Then Rotherham could have went 2-1 up had they capitalised on a complete non-decision um, which left two strikers in a massive offside position with no Villa defenders almost around them. I think it was only uh, Axel who was around them. They could have scored there and they would, have, they would have taken the win. No doubt in my mind if they scored there. The referee was abysmal in the first half of that game. And um, Dean Smith did pick up a booking. And he was also picking up dogs abuse from the Rotherham crowd. The whole thing seemed against them. There's a Grealish dive as well, which you don't see often. 
There was a, there was a massive Grealish dive um, when he falls down in the corner of the pitch. Everyone's abusing him. Someone comes near him and he flinches and starts rolling around, holding his ankle. And I think that captures nothing else to me other than complete and utter frustration. The whole game ran away from him in that first half. Um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I have to say that uh, the the there was a lot of criticism for referees, wasn't there? I, I mean, yeah, not much. Really? Oh, yeah. What? Why? What? 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 I mean, you were there, weren't you? I was watching. Um, I think the offside decision was bad. Tyrone Mings's second red, second I yellow, think yeah. was extreme. Second yellow, yeah, was extremely harsh. I think you just give the penalty in that situation. I understand the reason it's a yellow, but if that yellow is going to turn into a red, the rules are stupid. The rules make us ask questions. We shouldn't be asking. Questions. Were Villa bad? Villa weren't bad, and neither were Rotherham. It was a complete and utter stalemate, if I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Both teams were going at it. Villa had the penalty, and they should have scored. Rotherham were really, really up for it, and they were G'd up for it, and they were getting decisions, and they probably should have scored two in the first half. Because, I mean, this offside decision, the bloke, there's two blokes, and it honestly must have been a mile onside, offside. It's not like Mo Salah. His toes offside, and everyone's going. Oh, football Twitter going. Oh, this he always gets to put decisions. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah, going yeah, yeah. Mo Salah. yeah. It's, a t- it's his toe. That's on. It's his shoulder. That's offside. I don't care. When you're getting that, and a bloke is a mile offside, and you're not flagging him up, there's a complete complete advantage given by the referee there, and they should have scored. The only reason they didn't score, mate, is because they thought they were offside. <laughs> True. That is true. That is true. That did happen. <laughs> yeah, they would have. They would have won that. And it's not like oh, Mings gets sent off for a second yellow. Okay, okay. It's an offside. It's a, offside is a basic rule. Yeah, I don't. I get it. If you're not flagging up because you can't see if someone's elbows offside and you're not flagging, the bloke was yards, miles, meters. There was. You could have laid a fucking house. <laughs> Sorry, he could have though. It was um, it was a ridiculous call. It was a ridiculous non-decision, and Dean Smith goes wild and he gets a booking. And look, Lee Johnson picked up a booking for moaning about a throwing. Dean Smith picks a booking because Rotherham were given a clear-cut chance, registered clear-cut chance. Is that the new fashion now? Basically, if you challenge a referee as a uh, as a manager or a coach, you're you're getting a booking. Has has that always been the case, or, or do you think referees have been thicker-skinned in the past? Um, look, referees don't deserve abuse. And I think if they are getting abuse for decisions, that's bad. But when it comes to it, jobs are on the line. <laughs> jobs are definitely on the line. And don't look, yeah, you can't abuse refs. You can't surround refs. You can't do this and that. Their decision's final. But it comes to something when the other team is allowed chances based and I mean Bristol City fans will, will clearly agree with that. It comes to something when the game seems thrown away from you because of the referee's decisions. I think the, the Tyrone Mings red was it was extremely harsh. I think there's there's double punishment there. Usually you ain't sent off if you do that. Like that rule came in, double punishment. You cannot and it, because it's a yellow, you can double punishment if it was a straight red, you wouldn't have given it. Yeah, no, I know. I mean I think I think though um, the second, the second yellow with with Mings probably was fair though. Don't you? Do you not think so? Yeah, but you shouldn't have even had the first one. Yeah, I know, one, I know. The first one's rubbish. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose so. But yellow cards do get brandished for for sort of fifty fifty chances, though, don't they? It does happen. I, I don't, I don't feel like we should feel too sorry for ourselves over it. 
just to be a voice of reason. Um, you know, basically, if if you're if you're book James, you know you don't you don't handle the ball in the area. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Tyron Wings has to go down for some criticism here. No, I'm not. I'm not going to completely and utterly defend him. I just think I don't even think it was a handball. If I'm completely honest, I don't think it was. We have no other angle on it apart from the angle shown, and it just looks like it hits the top corner of his shoulder, and his arms are bent back. It's not like a deliberate handball. No, I guess not. Which is the rule. It's deliberate handball. Your hand has to be in an unnatural position and it has to be deliberate. If it's like that and your arm is stretched back and it's hitting the top corner of your shoulder, in my opinion, maybe it's a penalty. Mm. It's definitely not a second yellow. And Rotherham bloody got it as well because they gave away a penalty for the exact same thing and picked up a booking. So at least the referee consistent. Oh, at least it's consistent. So that, yeah. Second, yeah, that second half, um, Villa, 10 men come out. Jack Grealish runs the show. Al Mohamedy crosses in. Picks up while the, the defender pit sticks his arm out. Villa get the penalty. Upsteps Jonathan Codger. And this is the weird thing. Codger's... Why is Codger on the pitch at this point? Because Villa are down, down to 10 men. <laughs> yeah, then that comes on. They make... This is an insanely aggressive move. Set out what's what it looks like on the pitch right now for Villa. Formation-wise. Adoma's taken off for Yedinak because Mings is sent off. And you just have Algarzi on his own, on the wing. And then Algarzi's taken off in the second half. For Jonathan Codger. So then you have like a four, three, two. Is that right? Four, three, two. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you've got no wing, you've got no wingers, you've got you've got three central midfielders and you've got two strikers. And that's in <laughs> Villa one with a four three two. And they looked better with a man off. That's unreasonable, isn't it? That shouldn't happen. Well, I think like what's what's happened there as well, especially with. I, th- I think this again is is a pure Dean Smith move. This is when you look at Dean Smith versus Steve Bruce again. It's right. We're under the cosh against a team which is desperately, desperately trying to get out of the relegation zone. Desperately trying to you know stay up this season. Right, you with ten men. It's 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 one of these situations where you've almost got to fall on your sword because if you've got ten men on the pitch, you can't sit back and hope to and hope to break free because it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Rotherham are going to push and push until they score, um, and they're going to work harder. It's like uh, that 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 is it. Uh, you know, it's 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 eleven men against ten. You know, the 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 the, the overall hard work is just going to be is just going to be higher on their side. So, you, you, what you've got to do essentially is just hope that um, hope that you can bang one in. You know, send up two strikers, ask your midfielders to work a little bit harder, create something, and once you've got a goal, you know, the whole perspective changes. And you perhaps can, you know, you can perhaps relax a little bit more then, but it, it takes guts to do that, James. It takes guts, but it was 100% the right move. I can't disagree at all. It was, uh, it was ballsy, and uh, it's all credit to Dean Smith for going for it because um, Codger scores the penalty that equalises the game for Aston Villa, and he looked, uh, you know, true Jimmy Danger fashion, an absolute danger, because he was running the show, making the moves up front, um, almost scoring again for Aston Villa, but Jack, the goal that wins the game comes from Jack Grealish, who plays a one-two of Neil Taylor on the left-hand side. And this goal went viral. And it's not even his best goal. But this goal showed the world what Jack Grealish is about. Linking it with Neil Taylor. The whole pitch seems to slow down. He makes it look easy. Cuts inside. Puts it out to a do- um, Al-Mahamadi on the right. 
everyone's thinking, what is going on here? Al Mohamedi doesn't shoot. He cuts it back in for Grealish. Grealish shoots past the goalkeeper. Two, one, absolute scenes. Runs to the crowd. He's, he's kissing and biting the badge. Mental. Villa have brought it back. Two, one against Rotherham in really, really tough circumstances. And then they go on to win the game. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a big show of how much we've improved. And again, it was just, I think that game, I think the Rotherham game basically was just a stomp on the rest of the competition saying, look, we're not messing about. <laughs> we're, we're here to take the three points. And it's just a great attitude to see. That never die attitude. It's just, as, as a football fan, that is the most pleasing thing. That is the most pleasing thing. When you think you're down and out, but the team just is not allowing it. Uh, that you know, that those make for the most satisfying performances, and I don't care. Like we've we, we've had big wins over over Sheffield Wednesday. We've had big team. We've had big wins over Bristol City. Now you know we've had big wins over promotion rivals, right? And perhaps since Birmingham, that was the best I felt after that Rotherham game. Lonely Rotherham, and that was the best I felt after a win in the last few weeks. Because there was no, there was no, no way whatsoever we should have come away with three points. No way. It's unheard of. I think it was incredible. Um, it was a really good win. That was Villa's seventh in a in a row. Bristol, of course, being the eighth in a row. My match ball, mate, is going to none other than Jack Grealish. Mate, that 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 move was beautiful. It was the stuff of yes. Barcelona. It was it was amazing to watch, and uh, you have to give it. You have to hand it down to uh, El Mahamedi as well for setting him up in that. But that the, the way that Grealish would just almost communicated telepathically with the whole team there, just linking up with them, just basically telling them this is what this is where I'm going to go. Bring it back to me. It was the way that the whole team communicated there, and you could see it was it was that that influence of Jack Grealish as a captain just just running things right there that goal itself was beautiful and i have to agree with you there james jack grealish as captain has come a long 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 way he's matured and he looks even better for having the i was almost about to say headband because of his hair it was the armband he has the captain's armband. So you're giving Jack Grealish a match ball as well. Well, we can't both give it Jack Grealish. I'm going to give the second one to... Um, oh, this is a good one. I think I think the defence did really well to to kind of hold up after, um, you know, after after what had gone on. Uh, I think I'm probably going to give my second one to um, El Mohamedi for being involved in that attack as well. I thought he was very good down that right-hand side all game. Uh, so I'm going to give I'm going to give a second one to, to uh, El Mohamedi. Third one, joint one. I really can't look past John McGinn again. Oh, really? Yeah, um, run the show. Villa look like... Um, I keep saying run the show. Only one person can run the show. I keep saying it for every good player. Sorry, I keep going back to the, back to a, a single basis for him. But John McGinn, Villa looked like they didn't miss that missing man. They didn't look like they missed Tyron Mings. They didn't look a man down because John McGinn is worth two. Would you go with him over Conor Hurahan, who also had a very good game in midfield? I would. I would. I would go for him over Jonathan Codger, who scored the equaliser as well. I'd go for uh, John McGinn again. Okay, yeah, fair. I think it's a good. I think it's a good, uh, good decision there. Uh, again, just Terry alike in that game. Um, I think his second half performance far better than his first half performance. After giving that Sheffield Wednesday is the final game we got to speak about. I know we're uh, stretched for time, so I think we will just do the match balls. The Steve Bruce narrative is over. There's nothing worth speaking about anymore because it has been dissected. 
dissected to death and we finally banished that Steve Bruce thing and we no longer need to care about playing against him because it doesn't need to come with a circus that always does. Albert Adoma scores, John McGinn scores, Tammy Abraham gets a goal late on. It's absolute scenes. Villa win it late on, really late on in the <laughs> 93rd minute, I believe. Um, yeah, 93rd minute, yeah. 93rd minute, then they wouldn't score a second straight after that. Um, but yeah, it was... It, 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 he had to decide the penalty as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. It was. It was just an absolute circus of a game that, uh, because uh, Gary Hooper obviously scored after seven minutes in typical Steve Bruce fashion. I know we're we got to we're trying to mince this up really quickly, but yeah, he scored in almost typical Steve Bruce fashion. It was a overhead. Um, I mean, over the defenders. Basically, it was a it was a launched ball. He latched onto it. Um, basically, slotted it past Jed Steer. Um, the next goal obviously was coming from John McGinn, which um, again a very pretty goal to be fair to him. Uh, always seems to, always seems to have something in his locker, doesn't he? And it's just, it's just him running the show again. You know, he's been the best player in the championship, I think, in the last month or so. Absolutely, John McGinn, absolute star. Dean Smith wins Manager of the Month for having won seven games in a row. Um, of course, Bristol, Bristol City being the eighth, rather than being the seventh. Sheffield Wednesday being the sixth. I want a match ball from you okay. for Sheffield Wednesday. Match ball. First one goes to John McGinn. <laughs> he has picked up bloody awards this show, mate. He has picked, he, and he deserves it. Every single one. That finish against Jeffrey Wednesday was beautiful. And credit to Andre Green for making that, uh, whipping that ball in because it was a, it was a lost cause. Oh yeah, it was a good cross, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, my match ball is going to go to Jed Steer because if Filler conceded that penalty, it was a weak penalty. But uh, if they conceded that goal, it's, it's game over in my opinion. Sheffield Wednesday would have shut down. We've got to give that last one to uh, Uncle Albert, haven't we? For the corners in the last minute. Yeah, coming in, coming up with a good, clean, cool finish. Does the old man dance? A lot of people send that to that reference to Steve Bruce. I don't think he is. I think <laughs> Albert Adoma just loves to dance. He does. He does love a dance. He always has. We, we knew that when we saw the videos when he first signed for us. But I will say, um, final note on Sheffield Wednesday. Um, ignore the Steve Bruce stuff. Ignore everything else. Just get that photo of Albert Adoma dancing primarily for the camera as everything goes off behind him all he cares about is looking at the camera and dancing and all you see in the background is Grealish and Abraham just sprinting into the crowd Sheffield Wednesday heads down there's chaos behind him bedlam <laughs> behind him and he's just he's just in the dance mate yeah it, it almost really makes me hope that Villa keep hold of him just to see what happens in the Premier League because there's still that that hope for me that he reclaims that form from last season like that, that player is still there. Yeah, and he's not even that old. I mean, people say, oh, he's aging. Look, worst push comes to shove, he's going to leave because we need to cut wages. But there is a player there. There is a player. There is a finisher there. There's a hard worker there as well. Yeah, and uh, and I, th- I think he's he's also our most experienced winger. That's the other thing. Yeah, unless you can uh, find a direct upgrade. I mean, it'll be easier to do in the Premier League than the Championship. Unless you can find a direct upgrade and uh, you're willing to risk that direct upgrade. I mean, it might be someone, Joe Lolly, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Certainly an option. But but yeah, I think that, I think there are, he's made the case. Let's not make come to a definite conclusion, but he's made a case. Um, we've got a single match to speak about, Bolton mm-hmm. on Friday. Um, it's just worth skimming over. They're 23rd with 32 points. There's 12 points left to play for, which are given 44. They've lost their last three. Top scorer, Josh McGinnis, with four goals. No one is creating anything except Gary O'Neill, who's probably uh, 35 now. <laughs> it is looking like a foregone conclusion. And it's a massive shame because that club, um, it's bad on the pitch, but that is caused by turmoil mm. off of it. Ken Anderson needs to leave that club well alone. They're going down to League One. 
um, unless they win out and the table doesn't move above them. They're, 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 there's just no real way here I can envisage Bolton getting out of that um, relegation zone. The only team which can possibly do that is Rotherham, and it's even becoming a little bit of a stretch for them too. Um, yeah, Bolton, Bolton are poor. They, 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 they have been poor for a while, and it's a shame because you know it's been, it's been years since uh, everything started getting shot down over there, and they still haven't found any stability. Um, and you know you, you you do really feel for them because I know Villa have gone through a very long period of instability, but for Bolton has been going on for you know a couple of years longer. Uh, and, and you do feel bad for them. Yeah, I mean they come close to folding, didn't they? Um, a few weeks ago, and it's still it's still an ongoing situation. Um, you can follow Lion of Vienna Suite for more information on the SB Nation blog on Bolton. But it's worthless talking about any identity or play style because it's just completely been sucked out of them by off-the-pitch turmoil. It, there's, there's nothing there, mate. It's a, and it's they've a, been walked over horse. for the last few weeks. You know, Paul, Derby walked over them. Yeah, Ipswich beat them. Yeah, and uh, it's a real shame because I don't want to discredit a football club, but I think Bolton are completely worth discrediting, not the name or badge or shirt of that football club or its fans, but the ownership situation, fuck them. They're horrible. It's horrible. It's awful. And I think Villa will need to learn lessons from last season, come out professionally, think about that Rotherham game and think what can happen and make that work easier by playing on the front foot and beat, battering Bolton. It's going to be a shame. It probably confirmed Bolton's relegation. But um, that's what happens. That's what happens if um, the EFL allows bad owners. It, make, it makes for uncompetitive relegation battles because the teams that are getting relegated are getting relegated because of turmoil more than anything else. Yeah, I can't, I can't see anything other than Villa beating this team either and I mean you're, you're right it's just that this this team just is, is lacking is lacking a lot there's some aging players in that team as you mentioned you know Gary O'Neill playing behind the striker at 35 is just a bit weird at this point David Wheater you know still sort of holding holding off over there to be fair to him he's been he's been okay um, yeah I just yeah I don't I don't see a, a, an awful lot of a of a chance that that Bolton come away with anything here I mean, Will Buckley and Sami Amiobi have both looked good, you know, at points during their careers. Their midfield is incredibly um, inexperienced, you know, through the centre. You know, they've got young Joshua Williams, haven't they, and, uh, and and Connolly. But, you know, as far as trying to make a case for them to beat Villa, I just don't see it. Just don't see it, James, at all. Well, with that in mind, mate, to wrap up the show, I am going for a 3-0 Aston Villa win away at the... Uh... Away at Bolton. I don't know what the stadium's called anymore. It's the University of Bolton Stadium or bloody Macron Stadium, Matt Reebok Stadium. There's just so much change at that football club. It's unreal, but I'm going for a 3-0 Villa win. All right. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's currently known as the Macron Stadium now. I'm going to go one up here, and this is a dangerous game. Uh, I'm going to go 5-0. That is a take. That is a shout, mate. Um, and a full, you know what? I'll put a quid on that. And see if it comes <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for the points. That's haram, mate, for you. So I will. I won't give you any of those. Um, <laughs> those winning. I won't be betting on it. I will, and you won't be having any of it, <laughs> mate. I'm, I mean, <laughs> what could you get for a pound on five nil? Um, shall we have a quick look? Yeah, go on. This is from any random batting betting website. No betting website in particular. I'm not going to name it because bet. You know we don't want to be betting. We don't want to be encouraging betting. But one pound on five nil would would be funny. Aston Villa play Bolton at three o'clock. Correct score. I, I almost went five nil. Um, and Bolton. 
So the odds are 33 to 1. It's not a lot, is it? And a pound on that, which give you £34. Not amazing, is it? One pound gets you 33, which isn't a long shot at all, mate. No, so it could happen. It could happen, 5-0. Let's go for it. Um, I'm going to say, I, I said 3-0, you said 5-0. It's a big shout. Bolton on Friday at 3pm after that. Millwall on Monday, but we'll be catching up on the weekend to talk through that anyway. Danny, thank you for coming on, mate. And uh, we'll see you all next Sunday for the return of the Holtcast. And hopefully it will be nine wins in a row for Aston Villa. Thank you and goodbye.